Welcome to the Technory Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is sponsored by Salesforce Essentials. Salesforce Essentials makes it possible to tap into the power of Salesforce to build stronger customer relationships with a combined sales and support CRM for small businesses that is easy to use, set up, and maintain for just $25 per user per month. You can use this small business software, which is built on the world's number one CRM. All you've got to do is go to salesforce.technori.com. Today's guest... My friend Matt Strauss, the CEO and founder of Solve.is. Um, interesting conversation that went awry and then came back online and then went away and then came back online. And all of this for the better. Uh, his list of investors is like Chicago's who's who's who. And as a person, he's just one of those folks that you meet and they you just believe in like they're like in it. They're just in it. And I love the founders that I talk to who are like that because it, it just makes it so much easier to get into the the business of things because they're not there's no it's not contrived it's not like hey i got this opportunity i met not that there's anything wrong with that we talk about it during the show you can you can be a capitalist and it's okay um it's great but the problem is that sometimes we try to masquerade as one thing when we're another and matt kind of talked about it. he's like the majority of of you know do good companies usually have sort of a return of a one to one to point five one being business and point five being the return or do good or vice versa and i would argue it's even less than that it is very difficult to do good when you don't have any money or you don't have the power or the the team or the breadth to actually do good uh, you end up just setting this like pro- making a promise that you almost can't keep, and then there are companies, and they're they're very few and far between, but there are companies, and stri- uh, I would alt- I would ultimately say Solve is one of them, um, that are one to one. They do good and they make money, and if you look at all the investors that they've had, those investors, almost every one of them is not only do they do good, but they also make a lot of money, and I think that they also make a lot of money using networks, and that's something that. Matt sort of coined the term M, you know, B to B to M. And I, I was telling him jokingly on the show, like when he, I don't know what the hell he said at the pitch to get all these guys money, but those people clearly heard B to B to M because that is their business. That is the ability business to business to market their ability to capitalize and leverage a network. Um, so we talk about the business, we talk about the investors. We talked a lot about founders and how they pitch to investors and just how, to be effective and be an effective listener and the different types of founders and how they fit with this kind of a business. And so uh, ultimately it's a really, really good conversation. I think it's great if you're trying to understand um, solve as an example, you know, is working tirelessly to connect underprivileged or underrepresented communities with jobs and also measure that data and be able to make a real impact, which by the way, helping people get jobs is great for the economy and great for them and ultimately great for the business owners. Um, and so there's a trifecta of things going on here and there's, there are very few people who get in a position to do that and he's assembling a fantastic team and he's kind of the right guy at the right time to hit this. And I I think it's an interesting journey that he is on and he's very early in on it, but it'll be fun to watch. No doubt. So this is my conversation with Matt Strauss, the CEO and founder of solve. We're talking about raising capital, and it's one of those things that I think most companies, most founders have a hard time with at least the first go-around. Some have a hard time with it forever. Uh, The really good companies, I think, figure out who is their people, and they kind of know, like, you know, 
we're very transparent. Like, here's how much money I need to prove my theory. Mm-hmm. Here's how much money I need to be able to like, test scale. Here's how much money I need to make economies of scale. Here's how much money I need to like truly take a stab at the bullshit TAM number I sold you on the first round. And I think you're in an interesting situation for like a, a glutton of reasons. There's not new, but you're new kind of new founder. And you've got a concept that has a huge TAM and it has an even not, you know, not quite as gigantic as, as that, but like a fairly large SAM, which is this, the serviceable uh, addressable market. And yet the problem is for you that for, I would say, let's say the last five years while we've been quote unquote semi woke, the interest in talking about helping underserved communities and helping with workplace culture and we can name a ton of companies that are actually seeing success now we we solve and norify to name a mm-hmm. few um it's kind of lip service a lot of times in the office we say this we make a one-time like sponsor dollar like yeah we put our money towards good and then they disappear and so there's been sort of a pullback from some of the investors that i know where they're like yeah yeah, yeah but like is your adjustable market actually wanting to spend the money that they're going to need to spend to make this to work? And so for you, you're kind of dealing with this trifecta of things, but Oh, by the way, on the other side of the, of the coin, there is this real huge revenue opportunity to say nothing of all the good that you can do. Because if we don't solve this problem, which you will go into in this conversation, Mm -hmm. if you don't solve this problem, we have a, fucking gigantic economic problem correct because we're not employing a lot of people yeah and they're totally employable and so like on one side you've got the challenge of needing to raise enough funds to kind of get you to where you need to go and to build obviously build a good platform market run your business well but like you got to sell investors because of how large what you're doing is mm-hmm. and on the other side of this though there's this like gigantic huge opportunity that has existed for ever yeah but it's just not been addressable how how is solve solving these things simultaneously so the what excites me about solve um is that i've fallen in love with social impact and social good businesses you're a good follow on twitter and facebook by the way yeah you are too well i'm always learning from you i get paid to do it (laughs) you will too soon i'm sure but no i'm serious you should if you're if you are into this uh, I give recommendations to people who to follow, at least locally. I think if you're looking at like social, I think Thomas K. Stovall and, and Beth uh, Beth Bond are fantastic follows. Uh, I would throw your name to the list because yeah. you write some like real shit yeah. on stuff, which I think is good. Yeah, I try to bring like the perspective of where I grew up on the north side versus a lot of our nonprofits and customers and employer users on the south and west side. Yep. And I try to just show the perspective for everyone. So I've fallen in love with social good businesses. And... I'll explain what Solve does in a second, but what excites me about Solve is it's finally a one-to-one, if not a two-to-one impact to revenue. And usually when you have a social good business, it's like a one-to-point-five. So you can't always have that perfect margin. But what we're realizing is the more that Solve grows, one, the more we bring a market that's really fragmented together, but we're also optimizing this whole space all in one place that leads to X. 3x impact the more it grows and the more revenue we get and the more transparency and accountability that happens that's why i'm excited to tell you what solve does yeah but uh that's what really keeps me going and our team going because i've never seen a business that's actually like that we're gonna i want to i want to earmark that you're going to go into solve and i want to come back around to this because i I think depending on what you say i don't know how you're going to respond but i I, i've had a good conversation with a lot of people whether it's ronnie sage from shopping gives and others 
on this social good meets mission meets company meets millennial. And I, I'm I'm down the middle on this because I, I wear an investor hat and founder hat, and it's a struggle internally. The devil wins a lot in my house. Like The devil is always saying, drink more vodka. No. The devil is always saying that I, that I, I want to back my origin, but the investor tells me that there's a lot of times it's like window dressing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so depending on what you say, I'm really excited to go back to this conversation because I think you come from a very, similarly, a very unique yeah. uh, vantage point. Yeah, so I'd say there's two things that have driven me to that thesis. First is the book The Third Wave by Steve Case. Mm-hmm. And you just brought up Tam and Sam. Um, these are huge market opportunities to help people as well as make money because government is usually the slowest innovator. And there's five in, in the book The Third Wave by Steve Case, there's five industries that are really ripe healthcare, fintech, uh, education, government. And there's one more like nonprofit social yep. enterprise. So we kind of fall in the education and nonprofit social enterprise and government space, yep. which are th- actually three addressable markets. Um, and then from my brief experience of in, in venture capital at, at Venture Connects, where I met Mark Ackler, introduced me to all these, our inv- many of our investors. Um, what I learned was that if, if you have at least seven different markets you can attack or grow into, you have a much uh, likelier chance of growing into a, a larger and larger business because if one industry just completely changes their regulations or whatever their goals are, you lose that whole market, right? Luckily, we now have a number of industries that we can actually go after because there's a huge entry-level hiring challenge across the country, as well as nonprofits uh, need a lot of help in streamlining their work and trying to source uh, people for their programs or to help people find more jobs along the way complete sidebar just against mm-hmm. i always find it very interesting we had a guest that was on just before you pitched on stage at technory like way way back machine and now they're yeah. you know doing 60 million in revenue or whatever um i love the intersections of the technory story my own story and, and the people i get to talk to so you mentioned mm-hmm. we talked about howard we talked about uh tom gimbel's an investor you guys we talked about uh, obviously steve case is, is case and those guys are they Investing you guys or not yet? They do a little bit later. I was surprised. Yeah. Um, they market very early, but it's a little bit later. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I know most of the companies that yeah. they've they've put money in. I, I have no doubt that yeah. that he will. It's it's a perfect fit for that. It's my dream. I no, his, I, and his so book like, inspired me. So here you go. So here, well, I hope I'm yeah. sure you sent that in a note. Uh, I have no doubt that you tagged him several times when you talked about that. We'll tag him again in this one. I, actually, I I really. The target of this show is to get Steve Case to listen to this because this is a, an interesting story, and I know mm-hmm. he likes to capitalize on interesting stories. So, the intersection that I think is interesting. This is two thousand. Let's call it two thousand thirteen. I think. Um, yeah, I think it is twenty thirteen. So Forbes conference is here in Chicago. They're at the JW Marriott, mm-hmm. and Steve Case is the keynote, and I get tickets to this thing, and I am trying to get started with i just graduated from northwestern i'd been to a couple of technology of events but i didn't know anybody and i had no connections to any one of any importance and <clears throat> so i go to the forbes conference i don't even know how i got tickets to it but I, I did and there's a panel and on the panel is tom gimbel howard tolman <laughs> terry howerton yeah. steve forbes opens it up followed closing from steve case I walk in and I'm like, I mean, the reason I went, and I, I know you do, we've talked about this in the past, I know you do things like this where you pick out sort of like, who are the people I need to meet at this thing? I'm just going for that. I literally drew a circle and said, the people I need to meet if I want to get integrated in Chicago Tech is Howard Tolman, Terry Howerton at the time, which obviously TechNex is not at the time, but he was much more publicly out and about. Um, 
and Tom Gimble because LaSalle Network hires and places everybody. Yeah. And so I literally I sat on stage. I did every cheat code I could do to like work my way up. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting to like ask questions and eventually I worked my way up until I actually met all of them. And that was it. Nothing happened. And I'm walking out uh, at the end of it and I turn around and waiting for a ride is Steve Case. And I'm like, holy shit, that guy invented the internet pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. It was AOL, but similar. So, yeah. And I turn around like, hi, you know, great, great <clears> job. He's like, yep, whatever. Fast forward five years. Tom Gimble is like a regular friend of the program on the show. Howard Tolman has filled in for me on the show and has been a keynote at multiple of our yeah. events. Uh, Terry Howerton gave a space to work out of, and I presented Steve Case when he came to do his book tour for 1871. It was like, dreams, this is what dreams are made of. Mm-hmm. And now that's like half of your investors now and in the future. And so here we are. Random tangent, yeah, no, no point it, whatsoever. And so what I would say is the average entrepreneur from that I've got to know is when they meet people that are that successful and that influential, they don't view it as a relationship, right? We are all people. Yep. Like you, you can never go in asking for money. You go in asking for advice. And yeah, if it leads to money, it's an amazing experience. Like you kind of get a lot of trust. I did ask a couple of those people for money and one of them told me it was a stupid fucking idea. So, but what you have to do though, like from we raised now $700,000. It took a long time to get here. It took over a year uh, to get here. But what I realize is with Tom Gimble, who's our first investor, he would have never invested if he didn't hang out with me for three or four months. Now yeah. he believes in me. He wants to be on our board potentially uh, if we figure things out. And uh, I was gonna say, there's gonna have to be a line to more money on that. I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna help you negotiating with poor Matt here. Pony but, up, buddy. But what I would say is the average entrepreneur doesn't think like that. It, maybe they it takes them a little bit of time to realize that, and they get kind of offended um, if someone doesn't want to meet with them yeah. or if they are too aggressive with them up front. Um, when you realize if you go to these huge conferences, it just might be that one person that changes your whole business. But the average entrepreneur, I think, is just so greedy for money or just so in need of money at times, which I, I think totally it has understand. To do, I think there's this is an interesting conversation. We should we, let's yeah. scratch this. Yeah. Inch. I, there is there's more to it than that because I think that there are, and this is I'm generalizing. I don't mean to mm-hmm. generalize everybody, but I this is my own experience. And it's not about mission. You can have an obsession and a mission that you're chasing after, and that's all that matters. Yeah. From my vantage point, what I see is a process obsession. So, like, I don't think about items. I don't think about shit I'm going to buy. I don't think about money. I don't think about anything. My wife would like me to think more about money because she would like a house. I don't think about any of this stuff. I wake up, and I try to do everything I can to make today the most successful, fun, and I, I want to always be amped up. Like, what exactly. did you do today? Like, dude, are you kidding me? I woke up, I put my baby, you know, down. I, gave, I sent her to the daycare. I came out to work. I got to talk to you. I got to talk to these cool people. Um, it's got to be about the process. And for the entrepreneurs that I think reach out and, and call for money, there's there's two two real types, and then there's bad actor. The two real types that are not bad actor are the ignorant and then the delusional, and. I'm saying those are the good ones because you have to be a little fucking delusional to like believe that you are the one who's going to change status quo. And you have to be a little ignorant because sometimes too much information would stop you from doing something. Correct. And then the other ones are the ones who are like, this is a quick flip. I'm going to make some money. And they're not all bad. Yeah. This is where the maturity part comes in. And this is the evolution for myself. And it will be for you too. doesn't matter where in the first part of this you fall. There is the maturity mark where all of a sudden you're like, I, I'll talk to, I'm going to say this to Howard or Tom says he's probably going to listen to this. 
I have an opportunity for both of us to make some money. In the past, I was unproven, so I'm going to ask for money, and you'd be like, why? Now I'm proven. I've got an opportunity for us to make some money. It's going to be a quick flip. Yeah. It's a venture. When you come in it as an entrepreneur, you can be very direct, even with people like if, you're, if your reputation precedes you. You can meet someone for the first time and be like, listen, uh, I'm not pitching you for money. I, I could pitch anyone. I think that you make a good partner and we should do this. I think where things are a little weird is that entrepreneurs sometimes take this feeling of like, this is my moment. And then they seize it. And instead of just being like, I'm working on something really cool, I'd love your feedback, and like naturally grow it, yeah. they think like, this guy's going to slam the door in my face, so I better, you know, flip it in now. And it's, and that's the part where I think as an early stage founder, like I, I'm impressed with the people. It may, I guess this is a general, but a compliment. It matters who you raise money from, because it says a lot about you. I appreciate that. So, you, and you've raised money from some good names. Yeah, that was, your, that was your first compliment you ever gave me, so I'll take it forever. I'm not that much of an <laughs> asshole. Come on. <laughs> that's, no, but, but I mean, so now yeah. that's my perspective 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So now what's your perspective as you're coming up? I think it's interesting. What do you, when you start pitching, you know, the Ricketses and all these people, like mm-hmm. what, what is that? What are you thinking? Yeah, I actually always went with a relationship. I never realized if I ask for money right away, no one's going to want to invest in this business because. I grew up on the west side of Wilmette in the North Shore. Most of folks don't understand what's going on in our underserved communities. I've gotten the privilege and I've gotten very lucky to build so many relationships in our south and west side that I've learned the processes and just how broken everything is. So, like, my family, my friends are like, just get someone a job in in those communities. I'm like, you can't just do that, guys. You got to provide wraparound services. You got to provide extra access. So when I went and talked to a lot of our, our investors, it was actually more educational, right? I, I showed them just how broken the process was and where the real opportunities were and where we are wasting time. Or where Do they we think it was unfixable at. before? Is that like what part of this? I would say they think it's fixable. They just No, think, before you. Like the conversation, because uh, like, hmm. I, I remember having conversations with, with some of the same people you're talking about and, and being like, we'll get to it, which is like short for like, I don't know how and I'm not going to waste my time now on it. You going in and be like, look, here's the opportunity. Like, this is a real thing. We can do this. I just wonder if people, because it's such a grandiose problem, if people just didn't take the time to see that there is. Uh, yeah. What I would say is I just hung out with your sponsors out there. So shout out Bank of America and yeah. VRE. Um, we all appreciate that. <laughs> it's the first guest to do that in a long time. What I, what they, when I caught up with them, um, basically they said, you actually understand this problem that I never thought you would like. I never thought was actually imaginable. Yeah. Because I've actually I've gotten the chance to hang out in South and Westside so much. So, what I would say is yes. On the the average corporation right now, is talking so high level about solving these things that they end up hiring a consultant to help them more, which is a good way to kind of go about it. But there has to be just a way to implement, and that's why startups do so well, right? Because you you launch, you fail, you test, you fail, you launch, you test, you test. That these corporations are can't do that because the risk is so high if they mess up a little bit on these huge initiatives. That's where these consultants and these tech and technology companies need to come in to help companies at scale. Totally. So your so we were we were kind of going towards this conversation of like when you come in and pitch these guys and you've got the their ear. Mm-hmm. What is it about your bit? Like do you do you bite off? Do you go straight mission, whole picture, or do you go so like there's this big picture I could tell you about this is the mission. I'm dead set on getting this mission. We got to get these three things right. And then we can, there's nothing to talk about until then. Yeah. 
with with me so far, I'd say the hardest investor was Thad Wong. Yep. Who owns that property? Another Technory uh, alum. Love Thad. He was the only guy I couldn't read, and I couldn't figure out what his like you know his his dream is for Chicago and everything. But I realized if there's ways that we could help at properties one day, and Thad prove how much he cares about Chicago, he would probably want to invest. So I had to figure out a clever way to go about that, where one day he'll get some video spotlight, you know, for his first investment. Um, but everyone else, what I realize is everyone has a mission in life uh, at this level of success, or they have some sort of past experience, like volunteering at a nonprofit or donating to a nonprofit, or have some big vision of how this should work. The question then becomes, do our visions align? Because often what I've realized is some of the, a lot of successful people, they already have the plan because they just sold their business and they're yep. like, I'm going to do this for sure tomorrow and that's going to work. I'm like, yeah. eh, I don't think it's going to work. So it just depends on, on, on their past experience. I try to relate on that and then say, hey, look, this is how we could go about it together. I would need your help. For example, as an investor, we might close in the next few weeks. Uh, he's worked a lot of housing authorities across the country. And I'm like, that's exactly how we want to grow. When we get big customers across the country, we want to actually then sell the housing authorities to help them more efficiently through yeah. our software. So uh, this is just, it's just interesting. It's very well thought out. And I think a lot of founders don't think out this part of it as much as they do their business. And that's yeah. maybe one of the big yeah. problems. Yeah. I Maybe it was from growing up in Wilmette, I think, that it was probably an advantage I had. And as all the investors I've met so far were, were not from my family connections or anything. Yeah. It was just from networking, like and having no life. Yeah. Um, but I think growing up in Wilmette, I did experience some friends and friends of families and whatever that were ultra wealthy. Yeah. and realizing everyone's a human right everyone has their visions and their missions and their goals in life you just have to understand what people's goals are and and not force people to do anything right my unfair advantage is the exact same yeah i spent all my life traveling around with my dad and and meeting all these like watching people in their sales rooms making sales doing business just like sitting in the skybox at dallas stadium watching the super bowl champion time cowboy early 90s cowboys like that's Deion Sanders. There goes Troy Aikman, like Jerry Jones. We're in the box right next to Jerry Jones. I'm hanging out with Tony Dorsett. Like, <laughs> life is grand. And then you hang out with him. You're like, oh, that's a regular Joe. Yeah. He's just a dude. Yeah. Just a dude. And and I think that it did two things for me. It removed, I'm like unimpressed by anything. So I'm just like, oh, just a dude. Like, just a dude. And I think that makes me more approachable. Mm-hmm. And then I also recognize that these dudes were complaining about the same problems that we have exactly and I, mean, I remember like literally my dad jokes about this all the time i i literally this is how predetermined my life was i was i don't know maybe 10 i'm in a skybox with tony dorsett hall of fame dallas cowboys running back if you haven't don't know who he is he's talking about money that he's making post-retirement whatever and i was like dude you got to get in some sponsorship. You have got to do whatever. And I swear, I swear to you, that's a true story. He opened up a restaurant immediately afterward next to Randy, uh, Randy White's and was in Toyota and tr- Toyota truck commercials immediately afterward. And I saw him like, you know, a couple years later and he was the same, like made a joke about it. I was like, I've been selling sponsorship since <laughs> I was 10 years old. And, and the whole thing is like, all of this is a result of spending years yeah from like six years old, five years old to 15, yeah. listening to people from the, the highest highs to the lowest lows. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're just the same. They all yeah. have the same gripes. And I, I see that in you. I can, I can a hundred percent relay why the Wilmette advantage is yeah. not what you would think. It's Correct. not the, it's not the numbers and the money that you're thinking. It's just the access. 
and you just have to go in listening, right? If you go in with your ideas first, if you go in listening, you can always steer a conversation and how you hope it can go. Yep. The challenge actually I have is when I'm, since today's all about Tom Gimble. Yeah. It's so, Tom's show. Yeah. I remember one of my first meetings with him, we went to go meet with uh, one of his colleagues to hopefully have him become a customer or investor. And sometimes when I'm around Tom, like Tom is probably one of the best schmoozers I've ever met. Like he can well, talk he has to about- stop in the middle and do a CNBC squawk box interview real quick and then come <laughs> right back to you. But he'll, he'll literally talk about nothing related to the conversation. And all of a sudden he'll go back to like, oh, you need to hire some people? Yeah. Oh, we can help you. Yeah. But so when that happens to me, I freeze up quite often because yeah. I'm like, this guy, like I thought I was good at this, <laughs> but holy, this is a yeah, whole new best. level. Yeah. So those things like motivate me, but yet at the same time, I'm like, I can't mess up around this guy. But I remember I messed up so bad I froze up. I actually went home and I was like, that was sad. I went home and slept because I didn't know how to like, I didn't know how to try to call him, try to text him, which I do. And I finally texted him the next day. I'm like, please, like, I'm sorry. I'll figure this all out. So ever since it's been fine, but yeah, uh, what is, I'll never forget that. Do you mind, what, what is the, what, you don't have to go into the details yeah. of it. Like what, what was the, the screw up? What did you, what it was the bomb? So it's a very successful entrepreneur here in Chicago, has uh, a couple large businesses. Um, he has a big focus in underserved communities in housing and everything. My goal is to figure out how can we help secure him as an investor or have all of his housing properties used solved to lower his their, their default risk to find jobs and social services. What happened though was I, Tom steered the meeting most of the time and then when it was my turn to go, like Tom kind of fumbled what Solve was doing. He didn't yeah. explain it perfectly and then I fumbled even more. And that entrepreneur, I look up to him a lot as well. I froze up. Like I yeah. just, I didn't know what to say. And he like, he told me like, you should run your business like this, this and that. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should. Like yeah. I just, I didn't well, have What else could you do at that point? Yeah. So that, that was your response. Would you change your response? It, right now I'd have a lot more confidence. I mean, you yeah. wouldn't say, you wouldn't have fumbled it, but like if they, if he said you, because I've been in this spot. Yeah. I, I've been in the spot where I say this to somebody and then they're like, what the fuck? Like, n- no. And, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, and then you try to argue your way out of it. It just gets worse. You can't. You can't. You're better off just like acting like a fool. Yeah. And be like, no, no, tell me more. And then you call him like a month later and you're like, I instituted the three things you told me and we're fucking rolling. Yeah. And then you open up the dump dumpster of their money into your bank account. <laughs> So I wish that was the case, but the model that was suggested actually slowed my business down. So, yeah, so now I'm due for a follow up with with that person because we finally finally figured it all out and yeah. how to how to grow this. Yeah, but it's you're you were a fantastic listener. It's like real evident. Appreciate that. Sometimes I'm not. I can get better. I, oh. I definitely come in. It's still with a bias. I would say. But Everybody I listen, does. yeah, I listen and I go, I don't think that bias, you know, that would work based I, on my... I almost open up everything with like a preconceived notion. Yeah. I judge the fuck out of people. Yeah. I have a, and I'm honest about it, like, and, yeah. and it's kind of a tactical a barrier for me. It's like, in a good way, it's a, I would say if you were, if we were talking socially, I would say it's a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. If we were talking uh, professionally, I would say it is a bullshit sifter. If I set up my preconceived notion about you based on appearance, based on past history, based on everything I see, and then what you tell me, it actually, and this, I don't, I don't recommend this for other people, but for me at least, um, it actually enables me to find out who you are faster because it's such a, a juxtaposition because yeah. I have this image of you. Yeah. And then you come in, you're like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, holy shit, that it, is it way off. Yeah. And now yeah. I'm listening right. like totally there. And, and I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's, I learned to do that, and I, I don't think enough founders 
you don't have to do what I do or what you do. Yeah. But like, I, I think they're not listening enough. I think they're just pounding the pavement, sending messages to investors, and they're not actually listening to the feedback, which doesn't mean you should do what you did and change your business. Mm. But at least yeah. consider it. I agree with that. I, there's nothing else I could really say on that, but I, I totally agree with all that. <laughs> so so now, as you, you have these new investors, yeah. and you've got the money, yeah. you're... Your time to start scaling the business is now. Yeah, so we just secured our second nationwide contract. Um, so we grow. We, we call our market B to B to M. I made this up, and I'm proud That's of fine. it. But um, we'll get it on your Wikipedia. B to B. So our first B is like a nonprofit employer, or a big government, or a foundation, or a real estate developer. They're our first customer. They then bring an N, right? They bring a market. So yep. they upload all their employer partners, all their subcontractors, all their nonprofit partners. They then use our software as a way to like track all this data, right? Because we can start to track what a participant does, creating a profile in Englewood, then goes to a nonprofit in Bronzeville, gets an interview, gets a job, you know, applies to another social service. All those are powerful outcomes for a real estate developer, for diversity inclusion, for big contracts. Also, especially for a nonprofit to get more grant writing, et cetera. So we become a B2B2M model because they actually invite all these nonprofits and employers for us. And we go, okay, who else might be interested in Solve? So we have to have qualified. What we're getting better at now is qualifying those leads so we don't waste too much time on ones that aren't perfect for us. They can still be on Solve for free forever. But we, of course, want to find more leads to then repeat that model then and again. So yeah, excitingly, we'll be growing in about 10 to 15 new cities with those two two customers already. Uh, And we're building a couple features to make sure we can do everything that I want. So I'm going to make the ultimate lawyer's mistake. I'm yeah. not a lawyer, but I played one on TV. Uh, where you ask a question and you say something you don't know the answer to. This is like danger zone. Can I ask you first, are you able to name like your main investors yeah. publicly? Can you, let's let's list off short the, the investors. Why are you writing them down? I'm not. Well, <laughs> we have an audio. We got Timmy for that. I just, I'm yeah. playing a little game here. Yeah. Uh, Thad Wong. Okay. Tom Gimble. Sylvie Leisure, Rick, uh, Sylvie Leisure Ricketts, or Sylvie Leisure. Yep. Um, Larry Berlin, um, Mike Gamson. Yep. Mike was our second investor. Um, Scott Goodman. Um, one guy I can't disclose right now. Yep. Richard Price, Mesro Financial. Dario Medina, who grew all of Redfin in the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. Hidden name here in Chicago, but um, I'm learning. He's actually... But might be hiring him full time. He's very helpful, um, and a couple others that yep. aren't as well known. Okay, so you were just talking about your invented B two B to M. Yeah. When I look at companies, and I look at the who's on the cap table. Mm-hmm. I think it te- the the non language there tells everything. Why these people? And these are some fucking hitters. Like these aren't these aren't messing around names. Why they invested in you, other than you and all the stuff, yeah. you, you know, the way you pitch it. It's you're a very convincing person. All of these people have had success with the major advantage of network effect. What are you talking about? Mesero, yeah. LaSalle Network, at Properties, the Cubs. I mean, Gamson at LinkedIn is like the epitome of it. He's <laughs> investor number two. Yeah. All of these people, whether your pitch was on point or not, they believed in you. They all bet on you. These are early yeah. investors. They, they bought into you. But when you pitched it to them, I don't know what the hell you said, but what they heard was mm. B to B to M all day. 
Yeah. That's it. Like, so you can invent the name for it, but the, these guys all recognize yeah. that you can get a couple of things right and this thing could go bananas. Yeah, I would say that's a fair and way they to all say. Ma- and all of them are yeah. invested in the community also, to be, yeah. should be said. And so I'll expand on that. So everyone's like, do these investors want to make a lot of money? Do they want to help, like, help people? I'm like, it's both, both right? Yeah. As like Get rich doing good. How to start off the show. It's, it's I would say this is one of the first businesses you can see a one-to-one uh, ratio, like yep. more revenue is more growth. I'd say a lot of the green energy businesses have the same model now, yep. but in, in helping underserved communities, this is the first one I've ever seen because um, we have a huge, I can't disclose the name yet, but there's a huge foundation in Chicago that will be sponsoring now on private user software. And uh, in return, they can start to see outcomes at scale across our city. And then yep. we can use real-time data to say, hey, look, we have all these folks in Inglewood that have a misdemeanor or whatever it might be. Can we provide services to them for legal counseling clinics or whatever in their community? Not saying you have to come downtown yep. to get this help. Thank you for bringing this back full circle. Yeah. You did, as, again, name the sponsors and produce the show <laughs> for me. Um, no, I think it's really important because yeah. this is like the – this is I said this in the beginning, and so we're coming full circle. You are one to one instead of one to point five mm-hmm. or less usually. And one of the things that I think has become kind of a problem with the mission led everything thing is that you have to do big things before you can do good things. You don't have to, but in the general, like buy ten pairs of socks and the next one keeps someone's feet warm. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. You're using that as a marketing hook, and you put a lot of pressure on yourself yeah. to deliver. You have to over-deliver so you can afford the 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 give back you promised, which every competitor doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a bad, it's a very risky business to do to start with. Yeah, there are a handful of select businesses, and they're really they don't really exist. It's it's people like you in their brain who find navigate it and figure it out because. Like I said, this is not a new problem. 20 years yeah. uh, forever, but really 20 years with tech people trying to do this, and they, they couldn't see the pathway, mm-hmm. and you did. And so what I think is super unique here is, uh, going back to the original thing on on these investors, but this one-to-one. Yeah, You found a pathway where these people can do good and get rich, and I don't mean that in a selfish way, I mean just generate revenue, and they are one-to-one. They're not, it's not a trade-off, mm-hmm. and that's a, it's a rare find. And my goal is to make that ten to one, right? The yeah. more, the more impact we make per dollar, I think is actually going to start happening, because we can start to see where the holes in these services are to yep. optimize the whole flow. There are so many integration opportunities here; it's, oh, yeah. it's insane. Really so we'll, we'll be integrating with Salesforce, Workday, Taleo, and a few other systems the next. Salesforce week. Essentials yeah. is fantastic, as you'll find out. <laughs> as you already heard earlier in the show, we'll talk about it. We love Salesforce, um, as I know you do too. Um, so, kind of parting ways here. You've got your focus on the raise. You've got your focus on, you know, just as an aside, you already know this, but you'll be raising like this every year for the rest of your time, yeah. or until you guys are making a ton of money, in which case that's a different story. What what is the like one thing you gotta get right right now in order for the big vision to work? Doesn't have to be the game changer yeah. thing, just that like one thing to make sure we don't so screw up. We purposely haven't really tried to build like an algorithm yet or machine learning like flow. Yep. Um so right, we have job candidate users, nonprofit users, and employer users. So what we do is we connect people in underserved communities to jobs and social services to solve all the barriers to employment. Um so Interestingly enough, we've been having in Chicago 50 to 200 people signing up a week now yeah. to create a profile to find nonprofits or it's find a lot career of Google fairs. Forms. 
Yeah, or find employers. Right now, it's all on our software, but uh, it does become on the Google form because then our team member, uh, Demetrius, then tries to figure out like the best way to match them. So you now figure it out at nine out of 10 folks when they're trying to get a job in Chicago. They don't just go to a nonprofit program. They go, I got to create a resume. Then they try to figure out where to go. But then the challenge ends up becoming what programs am I eligible for? What are my barriers to employment and housing and transportation or childcare or whatever it might be? Then what jobs are actually the best you know for me based on all those challenges and what's most realistic based on my timeline to overcome these challenges so we finally kind of actually figured out and wrote down a flow chart to automate that and most likely it'll be using like a hubspot kind of tool there's a few others that we'll probably use to be able to automate that sign up process yeah because what your question was, what's slowing us down potentially? It's that. We, we can't have a full staff, right, helping job candidates every time they yeah, log on. Yeah, you can't be a recruiting agency, yeah, essentially. We have to be able to match them as fast as we can to the right nonprofits because they're all willing to pay us to recruit people here in Chicago, as well as jobs if someone's already employable, right? What if you just went to church and you heard your pastor say, hey, here's Solve, go create a profile. I yeah. can't help you get a job today. What if they just lost their job yesterday? They're still employable, but they just had a weird circumstance. That's where we can all use some machine learning to actually match that. So I think it's a real smart of you to not jump into that yeah. right away and do. It's hard not it, to. Well, of course it is. Yeah. But like the the reality is like, see, I I see your answer and I think the real problem is that there, yeah, there's a bottleneck. But like the real problem would be actually if you mismatched mm. or if you lost control of the process. And I think if you jump into machine learning and, yeah. and automation too soon, you don't have enough of a data story. Yeah. And so it, it doesn't have the human element to know, like, this is one person, this is another, this is a yeah. match because of something I see that the computer doesn't see because we haven't had enough of them. I think once you do this simulated and you take take the pain yeah. and you roll it out to where you have, like, here are our profiles, here's our data story. Yeah. You can build something right the right way, and then you have a piece of tech with two people sitting behind it who are sort of simulating alongside of it, and then you remove the people from the equation, and then you've got it. Spot on. So it's hard as as a non-technical founder. Yeah. I'm like, just, just build it. Like, yeah. I understand this, but having a good tech team say, don't do that, uh, has been a tough decision. But yes, I'm listening to you, Edwin. Yeah, right? <laughs> Very cool. This is uh, fascinating. Congratulations on, on all the success. you got a lot more to go, obviously. Appreciate it. Um, but it's been fun to watch you. Yeah. And so I, I hope... Uh, like I said, people should be following you on social. Where do people go to, to learn about Solve and, and follow you and, and all that good go stuff? Go to the website solve.is. Solve.is is our website. Uh, we have all the social medias. I think it's Solve is app yep. uh, is the social medias, Facebook, Instagram. How about you? For me, my name is Matt Strauss. I'm the founder and CEO of Solve. Uh, please do follow this journey. If you follow me, you'll hear me uh, kind of give sh- stories of folks that I meet in our communities or just how I relate from, you know, luckily growing up in Wilmette and how really it's on, it's on our city leaders to solve these problems now. We can't just rely on government. We have to all come together and you'll kind of hear how I view the world through there. Very well said. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. See you, Scott. If you have any questions or burning topics you want to take me to take a stab at, DM me on Instagram at Technori or at Katoon to invest in featured startups or apply to pitch on the Startup Showcase live on WGN Radio on Saturdays. Go to Technori.com. Boom. That's a wrap.